All right. It's time now for us to turn our attention to the word of our God. If you would, open with me to John chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 35 through 51 this morning. So John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. Uh, The title of the message this morning is going to simply be, Come and See. Come and See. Let's read together John chapter 1, verse 35. Again, the next day. John stood, stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, behold the Lamb of God. The two, two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following said to them, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now, it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah, You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, most assuredly I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of our God. I want to pray now and ask for his help as we open it together. Father, we are your children. We are are the sheep of your pasture, the children of your hand. We love you, Lord. We are hungry for your word. We we know it is you who have said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. So, Father, like you so graciously gave manna from heaven when your people were hungry, Father, we pray that you would break the bread of life to us now. Lord, where else 
will we go. You, your son, have the words of eternal life. Speak to us now, we pray in the name of Jesus, and say, amen. Over, did you see it over and over in this passage? We kept hearing uh, John the Baptist, behold, see the Lamb of God. Jesus telling the first two disciples, come and see. Philip telling Nathaniel, come and see. We keep seeing this over and over, this invitation to come, this invitation to come up close and behold Christ. And, and remember from last week why seeing Christ for who he is, why that is so important. It is because the salvation that you and I so desperately need comes from seeing and believing in Jesus. John 6:40 this is what Jesus said, and this is the will of him who sent me that everyone who sees the son and believes in him may have everlasting life. In our passage today, what we're going to see is we're going to see Jesus call his first disciples. And I want to invite you to come and see three ways that Jesus calls his sheep. Three ways that Jesus calls his sheep. Number one, through the preaching of the gospel. Number two, through the testimony of family members. And then number three, through the testimony of friends. So let's start with number one, through the preaching of the gospel. The very first disciples ever who followed Jesus did so because they heard John the Baptist preach. John was a herald. He was a man who was sent by God to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. What was the substance of John's message? It was a call to behold the Lamb of God, to come and see Jesus as the Savior who would take away the sin of the world. I want to tell you something. The theme of true biblical preaching has not changed now in nearly 2,000 years. We still cry, behold the Lamb. There is no other message. There is no greater message and there is no message more needed. God is still calling people to follow Jesus through the preaching of the gospel. I want you to, to, for a few moments, consider the great importance of preaching the word of God in the life of the church and in the life of every single believer. The apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, they had been having an argument about baptism, which is why Paul says his first part, 1 Corinthians 1, 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The preaching of the cross to us who are being saved is the power of God. Verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached 
to save those who believe. Do you see what Paul's saying? He's not saying we preach foolishness. He's being rhetorical there. You know, right now, the world thinks what we're doing is a complete waste of time. It looks like foolishness to them. But, but, but in the wisdom of God, he has designed the preaching of the gospel to be a means of reaching uh, the lost, of reaching his people. That's what it says in Romans chapter 10. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, you see. There's, there's two things here uh, in this passage that show us why the preaching of the cross is, is still not just relevant but crucial. Number one, God is pleased through the preaching of the Christ to save those who come to believe. And number two, the gospel is not just for unbelievers, right? Right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, he says, for those of us who are being saved, the message of the cross is the power of God. What's that mean, being saved? I thought I already got saved, pastor. Well, okay, I know what you mean when you said that. Technically, when you said, I got saved, what we mean is that you became a believer. You were born again. You came to believe in Christ. You possessed Christ. You possessed eternal life. We, we say, in a sense, we're saved. But that's not all there is to salvation. Salvation is a process. Some of it happened before the world began. Some of it happened in ancient, literally, in ancient history. I mean, Christ on the cross some of it will happen in our lifetime. Once we are born again, this process that, that God is working in our lives, uh, this ongoing work, God continues to perform until the ultimate final co- consummation of all things, our glorification in the new heavens and the new earth forever with Christ. And it's until that time comes, either until you die or until Christ comes back, for those of us who are being saved, we are told that the preaching of the cross is the power of God. Not just what someone needs in order to get initiated into the family. It's kind of like a Tesla. You know, these trendy new cars designed by Elon Musk. They run on batteries. And those things, that battery constantly needs to be recharged to keep running. And that's a very limited analogy. Another good analogy would be that the preaching of the word, um, the reason it's the power of God, you know, how are, are our human bodies powered? Food. We eat. That's why the Bible over and over is talking about, the, compares the word of God, uses food as an illustration of the word of God. It's the power of God for those who are being saved. All right? Paul gives another reason why pre- the preaching of the word is so important. In First and Second Timothy, Paul is giving instructions to a younger pastor about how to lead a church. Right? So in Second Timothy Chapter 4, verse, beginning in verse 1, Paul says, I char- listen to the solemnness of this charge. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. 
In other words, Jesus is coming back in judgment. And I am, this charge I am giving you, it, I want you to understand it in the light that Christ is coming back. So here's the charge, verse two. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For, why? Why, Paul? He says, because the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears. In other words, they are going to find teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. This is why, as a, for me as a pastor, whose responsibility it is to preach the word week in and week out. And this is why your responsibility as a believer, all of our responsibility as believers is so important for us to regularly be under the sound of the biblical faithful preaching of the word. This is why it's so important. This continues to be the job of every pastor and every church to be faithful to proclaim the word of God to the people of God and to the world. And the substance of our message is no different today than it was for Paul or it was for John the Baptist. Our message is Christ crucified, risen, reigning, and returning. To this day, Jesus is still calling disciples to himself through the preaching of the good news of the kingdom. Well, the second way Jesus calls disciples to follow him is through number two, the testimony of family members. That's what we see here in this passage. The very first two disciples who followed Jesus uh, because of John the Baptist's preaching were Andrew, Simon's brother, and probably John, the apostle John, right? And the reason we think that is remember what does the one thing John never does in his gospel? He never refers to himself by name. But you have all of these first person eyewitness details in this account. I love this. This is just one of the evidences that John's gospel is not a legend or a myth. It's written in, in terms of first, a first person eyewitness account. Verse 35, the next day. Verse 39, it was about the 10th hour. Jesus invited the two of them to come and see where he was staying. You know, you remember what uh, they called him rabbi, which you would, that's what they were calling him teacher. They had so many, they needed time. They wanted time to sit at the feet of Jesus and to learn from him. So they come and, and they stay with him. Um, Andrew, we are told, went and found Simon, Peter, his brother. And he went and told him, he said, we have found the Messiah. Messiah, we get a lot of this in this uh, passage. Messiah is the Hebrew word Christ is the Greek word, and both these words mean the anointed one. 
the chosen one. It, 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 it referred to the Messiah, the expectation that the Jews had of the, the, the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head, the offspring of Abraham that would be a blessing to every nation, the, the son of David who would sit on David's throne forever. He is the chosen one, the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah. And Andrew goes and tells Peter, we have found him. What happy news. Now here, here's what I want you to see in verse 42. If you have your Bible open, this is one of the things I really want you to take home from this, okay? Because there's, a, there's a, so many little practical things in here for us. And I don't know which ones the Holy Spirit's gonna apply to your life today, but I hope for some of you, this will be one. In verse 42, it says, and he, Andrew, brought him. Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. How amazing is that? Peter, one of the greatest leaders in the early church, the, the apostle that God would use on the day of Pentecost to preach that great sermon where so many thousands came to faith. He came to Christ. Because of what? Because his brother brought him to Jesus. Andrew was a very simple man. He was a fisherman. He was a blue-collar worker. He wasn't a preacher. He wasn't trained in any rabbinical school. And yet he, he had only known Jesus for a very short time, and he was able to lead his brother to Christ. Do you realize what that means for you? Wherever you are here today, wherever you are, like if today is the first day that God opens your eyes to see Jesus for who he really is, that's all you need to be qualified to do what Andrew did. I have found Jesus. Come and see, right? You, 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 whether you're a baby Christian, an aged theologian, you can lead people to Jesus. Only thing Andrew had is he had truly come to see and come to know Jesus. And now he's leading people to him. Do you notice when Peter came to Jesus, Jesus already knew him? Jesus is like, I know who you are. You are Simon, the son of John. But guess what? You will be called Cephas. Here's another place John's doing this much later, and he's going to have Greek and Hebrew-speaking people who's going to read his letter. So when Jesus says, and he's writing much later, so he calls him Simon Peter. Peter's Hebrew name was Simon, like Simeon from the Old Testament. His name is Simon, but Jesus says, you're going to be called Cephas. That is Hebrew for the word a rock. Peter is the Greek translation of Cephas, it also means rock. So Cephas, Hebrew, Peter, Greek, rock. You will be called a rock. Probably, I mean, he was kind of block-headed sometimes if you study his life, 
But, but you know what Peter wrote? I want you to see what kind of effect this had on Peter later in his life. First Peter chapter two, verse five, Peter said, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Do you see what Jesus was doing? He was building his church one brick at a time. Here's Andrew, here's John, here's Peter, here's Mark, here's Matthew, Carrie, Haley. Do you see? Jesus is still, yeah, some, you, the rest of you are included. I'm not trying, I just can't say everybody's name. So, this is what he's doing here today. He's building his church. All right, so we've seen that Jesus calls his disciples through the preaching of the cross. And in the second place, he calls them through the testimony of family members. Uh, Andrew went and brought his brother to Jesus. Now, this next example we have in our text is Jesus calls his disciples through, number three, the testimony of friends. The next day, Jesus found Philip, right? And Philip went and found Nathaniel. Now, now here's what, um, I, I love this, y'all. You've got to think about this. You've got to see God's sovereignty in this. Philip goes to Nathaniel and says, we have found the one of whom Moses and the law wrote. But do you know what the text says? Jesus found Philip. I know what we mean. If I hear someone say, man, I found the Lord back in 1985. I, okay, I understand what you're saying. You came to faith. But listen, who found who? Did, did you find Jesus or did Jesus find you? I just want to ask you, who was lost? Who needed to be found? Right, see? Thank God. Thank God. And, and now, you, you see also, you see Jesus and his sovereignty. Now, he's reached Philip, and Philip is going to go and reach Nathaniel. It's still Christ finding his sheep through the means of his people, right? Philip found Nathaniel. That's the pattern, right? Jesus finds us, and then we turn around. And we become, in essence, Paul even says this, we are co-laborers with Christ, inviting people to come and see. Philip found, found Nathaniel. We have found him. We have found the Messiah. We found the one that Moses wrote about, the prophets wrote about. And what did Nathaniel say? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, there's a lot in this, and people want to see racism in it, and maybe that was, maybe that was there. I, I'm not sure. But you know, um, Philip, Nathaniel, Nathaniel, what we're told later in John 21, he was from Cana, a town called Cana. Jesus is from Nazareth. You know what that's kind of like? That's kind of like Lennox in Enigma. <laughs> I mean, they're two nowhere towns. And, and, and they were probably, like, their high schools probably played football you know, no, they didn't play football back then. But, you know, they were like two small town, hometown rivals. And he's like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, 
maybe he was being disparaging, but here's what we do know. Nathaniel was a man who was familiar with his Bible because he knew that the prophecies of the Messiah were that he would come from Bethlehem, not Nazareth, right? Now, what Nathaniel does not yet know because he doesn't know the whole story is that whole providential scheme because Joseph and Mary indeed are from Nazareth. In God's providence, Caesar proclaimed a tax over the whole known world that required people to return to their hometowns. So Joseph had to take Mary and they had to travel down to Bethlehem so Caesar could get his taxes. No, so that the word of our God and its prophecies would be fulfilled, that the Savior was indeed born in Bethlehem. And he was indeed from the line. He was from both Joseph and Mary. Both of their lineages are through King David. But you know, Nathaniel has these questions, and they're good questions. Like, I mean, if, if, if you're going to tell me the Messiah is here, if you're going to tell me this is the Son of God, if you're going to tell me this is God in the flesh, I got some questions. I need some answers. Because I, I study my Bible, I want to know, right? So what does Philip tell him? Come and see. Come and see. We are welcome to bring our questions to Christ. And we are welcome to come. You know, Jesus, Jesus is an open book, and he gave us an open book. Like, right, the, the scriptures, because they are of divine origin, can stand the test of scrutiny, right? We don't, we don't have to hide parts of what the Bible says because we're embarrassed about it or, or because we're not sure of it. All of the answers are there for us to come and see and bring our questions to. Now, you remember what happens when Nathaniel comes to Jesus. Just like Peter, Jesus displays that he already knew Nathaniel, even though Nathaniel didn't know him. Jesus is like, ah, truly, truly, in the older translations, a true Israelite in who there is no guile. There is no deceit. What's going on there? You know, that's actually a reference. Who was, who was the first person called Israel? Jacob. What was Jacob? A deceiver. Jacob was a deceiver. And he encountered God and God gave him a new name. The name of Israel. Well, here comes Nathaniel, and Jesus knows him. He knows him. He's going to prove he knows him. He knows he's familiar with the Old Testament. Here is a genuine Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Simply, he's simply saying Nathaniel is an honest, genuine person. He's not coming under any pretenses. He doesn't have any agenda. He's a genuine, authentic person. But Nathaniel's like, whoa. Wait a minute, I don't know you, but how do you know me? 
And Nathanael's mind is about to get blown by Jesus. Jesus looked at this man right in the eyes and he said, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. People have different ideas about what that means. We're really not sure exactly, but whatever it was, maybe Philip was, uh, maybe Nathaniel was praying. Maybe he was uh, reading, studying the scriptures. Maybe God was uh, communing with him in some special way. Whatever it was, it blew Nathaniel's mind, and that's all he needed to be convinced. He says, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. That term, the son of God, they would try to pick up stones and stone Jesus when he claimed that he would. You see, in, in the Jewish culture, it was not, in Christianity, we commonly think of ourselves as the children of God. That's common for us, but in Judaism, before the time of Christ, that was not, the, the Jews considered themselves the people of God. They didn't really think of themselves as the children of God. For, so for Jesus to come on the scene claiming that God was his father, they knew he was claiming something unique, that he was uniquely from God, and they said, in claiming that God is your father, you being a man, make yourself to be God. John's assertion from the very beginning, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, you just kind of watch this unfold, and I love what Jesus says next to Nathaniel. He's like, he's like, you're impressed just because I said I saw you under the fig tree? He's like, Jesus is like, you're gonna see greater things than this. You're going to see the heavens open. And then what Jesus says next sounds so cryptic. I remember being a kid hearing this. You young guys, y'all think about this. Um, you're gonna see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. What in the world does that mean? Well, you know, if you were a first century Jewish person familiar with your scriptures, you know exactly right away what Jesus was referring to. Jesus was referring to Genesis chapter 28. It was that scene when Jacob the deceiver, he had cheated his brother out of the birthright. He had cheated him out of the blessing of the firstborn. Esau's trying to kill him, so he's on the run, getting out, fleeing from his family. And he's out in the wilderness and no place to stay, so he lays down to go to sleep. The only place he could lay his head was on a rock outdoors. And he has a dream there. This ladder that connects earth to heaven and angels coming up and down the ladder. Now, they didn't have this back then, but the way I envision this is like, have you ever been to like the Atlanta airport? And you've seen those really big escalators like 
one side going up and the other side coming down, just scads of people. And that's that's kind of what I picture, like angels coming up and down on this ladder. Jacob has this dream. God at the top of this ladder. Angels coming up and down on it. And do y'all remember what Jacob said when he woke up from his dream? He said, I did not know it, but surely God is in this place. What's Jesus doing? What's Jesus saying? When Jesus says, you're going to see the heavens open and you're gonna see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He's saying two things, I'm the ladder. I am the connection between heaven and earth. I am the connection between God and man. That's why the theology of Christ as the God-man is so important. He was fully God and fully man and therefore able to represent us to God and God to us. But what's he also saying? Surely, God is in this place. That's that's the message that he was giving. Now, do you realize if you're here today, it's entirely possible, and I know it's certain uh, for many of you, I, I pray all of you, but it's possible that Just like Nathaniel, your whole life, even before you were born, Jesus has had his eyes on you. And we have, through the gospel, been invited to come and see. Come and stay with Jesus. In John chapter 17, he's, he's gonna pray, uh, God, I, it's my desire that those who you have given me would, would be with me where I am. And you know something? Man, as, as, as believers in Christ, with the full canon of scriptures and, and almost 2,000 years of theological reflection and studying the scriptures and, 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 and growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ as he has revealed himself to our scriptures. As much glory, as much grace, as much of the character of God as, as has been revealed to us and, and we enjoy and we are awed by. Jesus is saying to us today the same thing he said to Nathaniel. We really haven't seen anything yet. Even though we have seen much more than Nathaniel had at that point, right? First Corinthians chapter two, verse nine, but as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Isn't that an amazing thought? Everything you have seen, all of the truth you enjoy in your knowledge of Christ, 
combined with all of the accumulated knowledge that men have gleaned from scriptures throughout two millennia. It hasn't even entered really into our imaginations what God has prepared for us. You have been invited to come and see. Have you come? Have you really come? Have you surrendered living for yourself and laid, turned your life over to Christ? Have you repented of your sins? Have you accepted Christ by faith? How many times, if you haven't, I'm just saying if you haven't, how many times has Jesus graciously invited you to come? Come and see, come and be with me. How many times have you resisted? Why would you resist him? And, and, and don't presume to, you, I, I hope, by God's grace, I hope, he will allow me to be right here next Sunday in some manner saying, come and see. But I might not be here. You might not be here. Do not, if you have not come, do not delay another moment. You do not know that Christ will give you another moment to respond to his invitation to come to him. And oh, and if you have come, you got to be like Nathaniel, just like blown away. Man, you are the son of God. You are the king. You're the king. You're, you're the king of Israel. You're the king of creation. You're the king of my life. What? I, I, I haven't seen anything yet. What, how, what kind of grace, what kind of love is this? That someone so unworthy as me has been loved this lavishly. So if you have come and seen, if you've tasted, if you have, be, if you have with your own eyes, with the eyes of your heart, beheld the Lamb of God, there's only one last question. Who are you going to invite to come and see. Father, we thank you for your word. This, the revelation you give us of your son Jesus is so powerful and wonderful. And we are blown away. While we're blown away, I just have this overwhelming another feeling that we're, we have not been as overwhelmed as we should be, but Father, Lord, you know how much we can handle as mere human beings. I pray you would fill our souls with your, with your grace, with your goodness. And, and Lord, I know you already have. I, Lord, I, I suppose in my own weak way what I'm asking is just more and more what Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 1. That you would open the eyes of our hearts so we could see the amazing power 
that is in at work in work at, at work it, that is at work in us the same power that you used to raise your son from the dead that we could see with eyes of faith how great the inheritance is for those who love you and we confess lord we only love you because you first loved us in the name of in the sweet and precious name of your son jesus i pray Amen.